On Good Friday, three women watched the crucifixion of Jesus from a distance, and then they went to the tomb where they watched as he was laid uh, and his body was placed in that tomb. Saturday evening, just after sunset, at the end of the Jewish Sabbath, they went out and bought spices. And then early the next morning on Sunday, the first day of the work week, they went to visit the tomb. They planned then to properly prepare Jesus' body for burial. And their main concern was, who would they find to be able to roll back the big heavy stone that covered the entrance to the tomb? It's important to note what they were not doing that morning. They did not go expecting to find a resurrected Jesus. Some argue that Jesus, when he died, the disciples had a vested interest in keeping things going, so they stole the body and made up a story that Christians have been telling for 2,000 years. But that begs the question, who would steal a body and make up a story if they didn't believe Jesus was going to rise from the dead in the first place? Not a single one of Jesus' disciples, including these three women who walked to the tomb that day, believed that Jesus would rise from the dead. And it is true that Jesus predicted it, but it's also true that they didn't understand, they didn't get it. Some people think that those who lived in ancient times were gullible, ready to believe anything. But let me just tell you, ancient people weren't stupid. They know what we know, and that is that dead people don't get up and walk out of funeral homes. These three went to considerable trouble and expense because they wanted to properly prepare Jesus' body for burial, not to welcome him back to life. But when they arrived at the tomb, they got the shock of their lives. First, the stone had been rolled away. When they looked into the tomb in the place where Jesus' body had been laid, they had seen this on Friday, late afternoon, they saw a young man dressed in white, and they were, Mark said, alarmed. Don't be afraid, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He's risen. He's not here. Go, he said, and tell his disciples and Peter. So they rushed home without saying a word to anyone along the way. They were too shocked, confused to even know what to think. Now, the resurrection is hard for many to swallow, and I get it. None of us have ever seen anyone come back to life. And as you can see from the story, Jesus' disciples had a hard time understanding it. Some dismiss these early accounts of the resurrection of Jesus, saying that the disciples only experienced his presence, that instead of a physical resurrection, the disciples felt powerfully that somehow he was with them spiritually, except that's not what the disciples believed. He had appeared to them. He invited them to look him over, to touch him, to see that he wasn't a ghost. They even ate meals together. Jesus was not just an impression in their minds. He was really there. Now, of course, that begs a question. Why would we trust them? Well, first, because they weren't expecting it, as we've already noted. But secondly, because women were the eyewitnesses of the resurrection. And you might think, what does that mean? Why is that important? That doesn't mean anything. Well, it may not to us, but it did to them. Because you see, in those days, women had a very low social status. They were not even permitted to testify in a criminal court. So if you're making up a story, why would you have women be your key witnesses unless they really were the first ones to witness the resurrection of Jesus. I know there are many resurrection skeptics, but the stories about Jesus that we have in the Bible have the ring of truth. I've just given you two pieces of evidence. There are a dozen or more other details in the story that show us that this really happened, that what they said they saw, they really saw. But the earliest Christians were not just convinced that Jesus had risen from the dead. They also believed it was an event of enormous significance. 
So why does the resurrection matter? Let me give you a few examples. And the first is that resurrection matters because in the resurrection, the past can be forgiven. And we've all done things we wish we hadn't, things that we wish we wouldn't have done, thought things that we wish we had not, said things we wish we could take back. We have regrets, things about which we are deeply ashamed, things we wish we could undo but cannot. Some of you feel like you're locked in a penalty box and the key's been thrown away. But we need not feel that way. You see, the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus took upon himself our sin and he says to us, you're forgiven. In the resurrection, every single wrong you've ever done is completely erased. So confess what you've done, put your trust in Jesus, and let it go. In 1921, Ben Lindsay became a judge in Denver. The courts in those days threw everyone together, children, teens, and adults. In fact, they had the same laws and even the same jail cells were used for all those three categories of people. After a few years on the job, Judge Lindsay became convinced that the system wasn't working. So he pioneered an approach to juvenile justice that was then widely imitated across the country. For 25 years, Judge Lindsay was known as the kid's judge. But after all that work, Judge Lindsay had 25 years worth of files with a name and a crime and uh, a person who'd come, of every person who'd come through his courtroom. Now he was retiring and he wondered, what's going to happen to these files? He worried, he wondered, if someone got a hold of them, these children were now grown. Many had changed, leaving behind the troubles of the past. They had families and children and homes and businesses and if someone got a hold of them, just imagine the harm that they could do. Can you imagine your worst teenage moment suddenly printed in the newspaper? Judge Lindsay thought about it and said, I can't let this happen. Now, they didn't have shredders in the late 1940s, and he began to take these files and rip them into small little bits, throw them into boxes, and gather them. He took those boxes and he put them in a truck and he drove to a deserted area to the west of Denver. He invited the press, and then in front of everyone, he put these files in a ditch, poured gasoline on them, and he lit it ablaze. He called it the shame bonfire, the place where he took the shame, the regrets, the past memories of all these people, and he burned them so there would no longer be a record of what they had done. In an even more profound way, this is what Jesus' death and resurrection does for us. Everything we've ever done, past, present, and future, is covered by what Jesus did for us on the cross and through his resurrection. We are forgiven. There is no longer a record of what we've done. The resurrection also gives us the power to change. That's because we don't need just forgiveness, forgiveness for all the things we're ashamed of, but we need power to overcome the sin we're struggling with right now. And by change, I don't mean just turning over a new leaf or becoming a little bit more religious. It's something far more radical. It's the beginning of a transformation that goes to the very core of who we are. It's about deep change, change that we all desperately need. And the resurrection gives us the power to change what is wrong with us. Now, the resurrection also has uh, impact, uh, implications that go well beyond us. It affects us not just personally, but it affects the world as a whole. Now, if you've been paying attention, you realize that this world doesn't work the way that it's supposed to. What the resurrection promises is that one day Jesus will return and make everything new. That all the messed up things that are here, God promises to fix in the end. He'll step in and establish justice and end suffering and 
heal creation with a God-perfected, God-redeemed, God-set-right life. In the meantime, we've been given the privilege of helping with that effort. We've been given the opportunity to make a difference in this world, although we know that that job will not be fully complete until Jesus returns. But we have that opportunity, and the cross and the resurrection affect the way that this world goes. One final way the resurrection matters, although there could be others as well, is it affects our future. It makes our future secure. Now, you're probably familiar with the idea that through a relationship with Jesus, we have the promise of eternal life. And for some, this is highly motivating. They live with great fear of death. The message of Easter, the promise guaranteed by the resurrection, is that there is a world to come beyond death, a world that will fulfill our greatest hopes and expectations. In the last hundred years, there's been a subtle change in the way that people view the world. You see, we've eliminated some of the most unpleasant aspects of life. Advances in medicine, along with air conditioning and airplanes and flush toilets and microwaves, have made this a lot more comfortable world than once it was. That makes us the first generation in history to subtly have come to believe that we can find happiness here on earth. But then, the truth comes crashing in. That's because as good as life can be, it can also be quite difficult. That's why we need to listen to our ancestors who believed in two worlds, in this one where we can find momentary pleasure along with temporary pain, and the next, a different, far better world to come. The great message of Easter is that in the resurrection, our future is secure, a future that's unimaginably wonderful, where there is the restoration of everything that has once been lost, where disappointments are reversed and where we can find the life we've always wanted but never have quite been able to have. So how do we put all of this together? Well, in many Bibles, you'll see that there, there, aren't any, there are some additional verses past verse 8 in Mark chapter 16, although there's a note that says that the ending is not actually an ending that Mark wrote. Rather, it was added by somebody later who was troubled that the story ends so abruptly with these bewildered women who were trembling. It's such an odd ending that most scholars believe that Mark's original ending to his book was lost. Now, what's lost probably wasn't long, may have contained a few eyewitness accounts of Jesus after his resurrection, or perhaps some instructions that Jesus gave his disciples to continue what he'd begun. We probably shouldn't speculate too much, though. In God's wisdom, we have what we have. Plus, it's possible to make a virtue out of a necessity. You see, the way the book ends now invites us to do something important, not just to read in some sort of detached way, what the disciples experienced and the faith of the new early Christians as they responded to the news of the resurrection, we are also invited to enter into the story and end it with our own story. Sometimes, like it did for these women, our story starts with some confusion. You see, the women here didn't have an instant aha moment. They needed some time to absorb the news. And that's the way it often is for us as well. I know that some of you consider yourselves Christians, followers of Jesus, but if you look back on your own story, you remember a time when you were sort of wrestling with this, a little bit confused, a little bit understanding. Um, it may have been a time period that drew out for months, even years, where you slowly found yourself being drawn to Jesus. And it was only after you learned and experienced more that eventually you realized the significance of the resurrection, and it was only then that you made a commitment to Jesus. Several times I've had, a uh, number of times, I've had long spiritual conversations, maybe over months or even a year or more, with someone, and then one day, somebody will say to me, you know what, now I get it. 
One time a guy said to me, I'm not quite sure what happened, but I think now I'm a Christian. It kind of snuck up on me. And some of you are on that journey. You're intrigued, but not yet convinced. You've had an encounter with Jesus, but you've not yet decided to follow him. And it may be that you are plagued by doubts. You may have even been told that doubt is bad. But let me just tell you, that's not true. After years of talking with people about faith, I'm convinced that doubt is is actually useful. Anything worth believing needs to be tested. Sometimes that means you go through an uncomfortable moment where you have to clarify what you believe. And then you have, in fact, in a moment, we're going to hear a faith story with an example of exactly this. If you struggle with doubt, my encouragement is that you continue, you need to continue to seek, continue to do so, ask questions, look for answers. And then one day you may experience what others have, a faith that kind of snuck up on you. I believe, really believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And I believe it's important, really important that he did. And while I can take a bit of time, there does come a moment when you need to decide, what am I going to do with this? You see, you have a choice to make. Jesus has issued an invitation to each one of us, but he's also given us freedom. He's offered us a gift, but we need to receive it. The opportunity is there, and just a subtle warning, it may not always be there. I recently heard about a woman who had uh, what she admitted were commitment issues. She'd come to believe that Jesus really did rise from the dead, and she believed that it mattered to her. She knew she needed to take a step of confessing her sin and receiving the forgiveness offered through what Jesus did on the cross and through the resurrection. So here's what she did. She went home and she stood at the threshold between her kitchen and her living room. She said aloud, God, when I step across that line, I'm going to leave my old life behind. I'm asking you to forgive my sins and to make me your child. And I'm committing to follow you with all my heart. And then she took a step cross that line. Have you taken that step? If not, would you be willing to do so today? There is no better day than Easter Sunday to take that step of faith, to make that decision. You see, the story of the resurrection is not just good news, it's true. It's not just a metaphor or a vague hope. It means that death has no power over you. It means that the guilt and shame can no longer keep you from God. Because when you trust Jesus, Your own resurrection is coming. So if you have questions and need answers, please, by all means, seek those out. But if you have enough information, let me encourage you to respond. St. Paul said in Romans 10.9, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Would you pray with me? Father, we live in a broken world, and we are sinful, broken people. But the cross of your Son, Jesus, shows us that we are also more loved and accepted than we ever dared to hope. And his resurrection shows us that you have a better ending planned for all of us. Father, for those considering this decision for the first time, may they have clarity of thought to make an informed decision and the faith needed to take this important step. We pray this in the name of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.